What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Kieran Hawks. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, we're here to celebrate the 10th anniversary of your first feature film, Piggy. Yeah, I can't believe 10 years. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. Actually, it was only it was only when you guys uh, contacted me about it that I suddenly went, was that 10 years? Do you know what I mean? So I had, it escaped me. Well, congratulations, and... Uh, Thank you. It's now it's now back available on I think it's Amazon Prime. I'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes when when we go when it goes live. Um, but before we get into any details, do you want to as as and here's a little quick test for you then? Do you want to give a brief synopsis to what Piggy's about? No, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> um, Piggy's the story. Piggy's a story of uh, Joe, who was a kind of sort of lonely guy in London, um, who's. Really, his best friend was his brother, um, and his brother was uh, brutally murdered by a group of people. And then his brother's best friend, um, Piggy, a guy called Piggy, nicknamed Piggy, comes out of the woodwork and kind of says to him, I want to help you you know, sort this crime out because it's not going to be sorted out. And then it's the journey that those two guys make together um, and where that goes. Indeed. And, and, and fun. And brutally so. And brutally so. And brutally so. <laughs> yeah. Very brutally, actually, looking back here. Absolutely. But but not unjust. It's like it, you know, it has that it it has that starting point which make gives gives us the the, the the older brother as the victim, and then we have the revenge. And then obviously from an audience's point of view, we're left to think, well, is he right now that what he's doing? Is that right? Is that I know, and then you have to keep yeah. reminding yourself what where the film starts. But like you're still left to ask the question, you know, once you know, revenge is that funny thing, isn't it, where it feels like it should be the right thing, but does brutality brutalize the people that survive? You know, it's like because you like you say, the 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 Martin Compton's character starts off as this might mild mannered, meek person, and obviously doesn't end the film there by any stretch. But yeah, it's an interesting one, but it's like it's that thing as well. I'm just like the moment that that happened to Martin's character, to the Joe character, he was kind of tethered to it anyway. He's tethered to the event. Mm. And um, so does that mean he's sort of damned with that event anyway, no matter what, whether, you know, and then you get into this sort of conversation about crime and punishment and, and is them going to prison enough and all that stuff. And it's like, 
that's a debate only you can have with yourself, really, isn't it? Indeed, whether, indeed. Whether that's enough and whether that makes you sleep at night or or taking, you know, your level of physical revenge on someone is the thing. But my, I, mean, I guess my point would be, I think that once events like that happen, you're kind of tethered to it no matter what you do. But maybe that's bleaker or not. I'm not sure. No, I, th- I don't. Th- I think you know. It, ta- it takes it takes a lot to sort. Of, I mean, it's impossible to it's impossible to forget. You can possibly forgive, but you'll never forget because there's always going to be an anniversary of when it happened. There's always going to be a birthday when they're not alive. There's always a Christmas where you're never going to see them again. So, like you say, you're forever tethered to the to the to the outcome of of one fatal night. So, when you started writing this, what 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 do you remember being the kernel of the idea that got you got the ball rolling, and what became Piggy the film? I I was just kind of thinking about. I, I was actually a messenger at the time. I was sort of bowling around London. Mm. And I was a messenger, and and I'd always like <clears throat> there'd always been a thing of I wanted to write a London movie. I wanted to write a film that was doable, you know, because I'd been there'd been a few iterations after film school where I had scripts, but they were just too big for the budgets at the time. And it was about looking at what was really manageable and what I had in front of me that, that was honest to me. And, you know, I was looking, you know, I was thinking about crime films and I think I'd written a bunch of treatments for like, you know, armed robbery and bank robberies and stuff. And I just thought, I'm not an armed robber and I'm not a bank robber. I'm like, a, I'm a messenger. Do you know what I mean? It, that was my life. Yeah. But also that's, that sort of fascinated me. And then I just started thinking about if you put a horrific event into what is an otherwise quite banal situation, where does that go? And I think that that, I think that was the genesis of it. Okay. And so, so was it, was it always like, obviously sort of two brothers then in, in, in the, in the original idea, or was it just the idea of the person's life being thrown in his head? Uh, I think it was do you know what I think the original idea was it was two friends and then suddenly the level of violence that I, that I felt that the film had to get to not that friendship isn't incredibly important but it just felt to not lose an audience and I think that that's a screenplay thing I think that's a that's a that's a story thing you know it's, there's reasons why for the, you know the murder of a family member that does this so I think the, in the original idea in my mind it was two two best friends who were a bit socially awkward didn't quite you know one of them being more charismatic which was the one mm. that became the brother um and then it was just about yeah and then i shifted it to a brother and and that became you know obviously the sort of impetus for what like what happens after that yeah because i mean the, an important thing with the brother is is that he is he's like the brother and the father isn't he he's sort of yeah he's basically in in, in the way the film starts he's kind of coaxing him out of this kind of banal existence so that at least he has what you might think of as a social life as opposed to just getting baked and fall asleep, go to work, baked and fall asleep. You know, that's kind of getting him out of that cycle. Yeah, so he, he loses the, that the crutch, brother, doesn't he, he? Totally. And he was this, yeah, he was the outside world. He's 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 him, him being able to sit in a pub opposed mm. to being scared to sit in a pub. And, mm. you know, that and it, without that, you know, without that person, without that brother, without the Neil Maskell character, he can do the same things, but just in throes of anxiety, which I think I probably was at the time. <laughs> I think that was just a quite honest depiction of the life I was living. Do you know what I mean? And, mm. and then looking at the things around me that were that uh, gave me the ability to step out of those anxieties and sort of normalise my interaction with the ordinary world, I think. 
up until the death, up until the original death, there's 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 no there's no hint of this piggy character until after the fact, right. and it's it's even after the sort of almost like a mourning period we get after the death as well, where where Joe's sort of got to work out what who he is, what he's got to do, and then there's a knock at the door. So, what what for you were the kind of storytelling challenges of that kind of because it's almost like we start what we think is one film, it gets brutally interrupted. And then we get the film that, that, that were promised. That then we get into the film we're promised on the cover at the same time. I mean, there was definitely challenges, but I, I, I needed him to make an entrance. I needed him to make like a an entrance, both sort of cinematically and in the story. And I just, I, I just felt like because I do because if he hadn't have turned up, I, I think that the film of his kind of of Joe's sort of ineptitude with the world mm. had sort of finished at that point. And so I think that would have been the film for the next hour. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Had he not have come. And so I think that, like, symbolically, he needed to turn up. Yeah. Like that to just shift everything. And and also the way he turns up is is kind of you know he's a violent character and he sort of turns up violently. Do you know what I mean? It's like everything about him is sort of staccato and violent. So I think I mean you know again I'm I'm thinking back. But I, lo- but I loved uh, the the start. Crunch, watch watching again recently. The start contrast between when when um, when John comes Neil Maskell's character to his apartment and he says, "What sort of paintings, mate? Fucking horrible." Yeah, they were here when I moved in. I didn't really think about it. It's a bit weird, mate. And then the contrast is when Piggy turns up. Is I like this, Joe. Fucking nice and cosy. Only. Like this, there's this complete chalk and cheese reaction to, you know, a reflection on what Joe's life has become. Is there's almost like a kind of, I guess, a note, a note of optimism despite where we are as a point in his life. Yeah, and it, and it just it, it felt like where his brother was trying to sort of, sort of, coax him out, like you say, trying to coax him out of that sort of decay. The piggy character is much more about forward movement, like get out, let's do this. This is all right, yeah. Like, and it's all psychological. All the rep- like, I like that scene. I like writing that scene. It's all the repetition. It's all like the the mind games and making you think. You know, think about this. But yeah, no, no, not that anymore. Now think about this. But what about you? You know, and it's like just putting your putting the brain in this. You know, this rattle where you don't quite know what you think. And that was that was the intention of that. I think. No, no, it's, it's delightful. Absolutely delightful. Oh, thank you. Where did where did the idea for the uh, the piggy snout come from as a as a disguise? I mean, just to remind you, the line the line that Paul Anderson says is the more stupid the disguise, the more they won't be able to see past it. Think about it. All they remember is this pig nose. It's like you know, even in Clockwork Orange, when when. Uh, when Alex breaks into the house and rapes the woman, they got them silly noses on it. So like that, the psychology of, of disruption of disrupting the mind. And, you know, it's like people, you know, you, Oh, it's always amazes me when you watch, you know, those crime programs and, and, and people give descriptions of someone, you know, someone that might have done a crime. I'm like, how do you remember anything <laughs> about someone who just walked past her? I consider myself to, have quite a good memory. I have no idea. And so I, it's like the idea of, of focusing people on one thing that's abnormal. And so the more silly you make that thing. It's funny, thinking back to the movie, I think I missed a trick 
there's a few, you know, there's a few things in the movie I feel like I missed. But one of them was that I think I should have maybe gone even sillier. But then I don't, didn't want to put Paul Anderson in a sort of fluffy pink note. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it's like, they're, they're the things that I look back on the film and go, yeah, did I push or pull that enough? Well, it, it rides the line enough because obviously the audience is with Martin Compton's character. So he's, he's, the, he's the one who's, who's like looking at it going, this, like, you know, he's like, this is this is what we're going to do. This is this is how we're going to take revenge on my brother's death. Wear a pig nose. Like you can see, that's all going. He doesn't have to say it. It's all going through his mind. And also, but also, it's the Clark Kent thing, which always fascinated me. It's like you know what? No one could see who was in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, so they didn't put like they didn't put like whole head masks on. They put the thing that basically I go, I look at them and go, that's my inconstant in a little pig nose. Do you know what I mean? I don't go. Oh, I wouldn't know him uh, from you know from anyone else. So I think that was I was. A note of humour I was sort of playing with was with that, the absurdity of that. Now, we've mentioned a few names as we've been talking, so let's let's look at the cast in this film. Piggy's somewhat of a stellar cast in hindsight. I mean, I'm sure in 2011, 12, when you're making it and putting it out, these were burgeoning talents, but but now we know they're bona fide. So we've got, we've got Martin Compton, we've got Paul Anderson, we've got um, Neil Maskell, and we've got Ed Screen, as you... As you Mentioned the preamble. How did you? Um, how did you get the team together, as it were? How did that casting come about? Well, I mean, Ma- me, me and Neil, me and Maskell have been sort of best friends, tightest friends for 20, 25 years now. Okay. So he's he's a no brainer. So he was in like I dragged him into all of my film school shorts. I was basically uh, there was an unspoken law that I don't think I was ever allowed to make anything without. <laughs> so so he was he was a kind of no brainer for me, and then. Um, uh, this is really, then, this is I'm going to say this is running parallel with like Ben Wheatley's Kill List, isn't it? I guess he was. He's, he's, yes, it's pretty the same much. Year. Yeah, it was all that. It was the same year. It was all that. It was all that same time. Um, but it was. I kind of wanted to challenge myself to work with actors in the sort of leads that I hadn't worked with before. That mm. was quite important to me. Now, obviously, I knew Martin's work from um, you know Sweet Sixteen. I mean, Jesus, you know, I knew I knew who Martin was. Massive, I was a massive fan of. And so then when we started sort of spitballing who could play these roles, we went through the sort of known actors for the piggy role because that seemed like the really, that seemed like the really showy role. You know, I knew Martin, I knew someone like Martin had the chops to do the Joe role and he was, and he had enough kind of exposure at that point to make it a legitimate film. But the piggy role seemed really difficult and everything seemed a bit stunt casting and seemed a bit weird. So... We started the casting process. Martin came in and just was just as good, if not better, than I believed him to be. And we were thinking about the accent and how he's going to pull that off. But that was something that's never really concerned me because I think that, you know, that's what actors do. They be not themselves. Do you know what I mean? That's that's part of it. And then, so, you know, really, I, I, I stepped back and I um, and our casting director, the now past um, Emma Styles, drew up some lists. And I remember, so I was looking at these lists and there was, you know, some sort of obvious names on there. And then, you know, and then there was Paul Anderson. And I looked at Paul and Paul at the time had done um, Nick Loves The Firm. Mm. And I was like, yeah, cool. You know, maybe that could be quite cool. But I just wanted to be really open. And so people started coming in and then, um, and then Paul came in and he's sort of like, it's so funny. I think there's a, beh- there's a behind the scenes video somewhere. And I actually, we actually put his audition on it. Right. Because it's remarkable. And it was, the reason it was remarkable was because he didn't know any of the lines. 
He went, he, he, I wrote a blurb that went out with the script that was kind of like what my intentions were and what my influences were and the, the, the movies I loved and the styles I loved and all that stuff. And Paul really related to that because they're his, you know, that's why we remain friends to this day. Can I ask what, what, were, what were some of the influences you were sort of giving the actors as a clue as to what you were after? I can't remember. It was more, it wasn't so much about I'm trying to make this film. It was more about the things that inspire me, okay, which okay. are, you know, it would have been like Taxi Driver and Neil by Mouth. And I don't know, it was, it was just about a grit and, a, and an attitude more than it was a, okay, I'm going to make this movie. And so Paul came in, didn't really know the lines, but sort of stumbled through that um, when he first meets Joe. And I, I, I sort of sat there thinking, you oh, know, he doesn't really know the word. You know, that's all right. It's quite complicated. Literally, two minutes later, I was like, holy fuck, who is this? Really? And I was just like, that's him. And I watched, I, I watched the audition over and over again for the next couple of days. And I don't, I don't think there was one resistance from anyone who, who was part of the debate. Mm. As to, oh, and interestingly, Neil Maskell did all the auditions for me. So he read all the off screens in the audition process. Oh, really? Yeah, he did, which was really um, gracious of him and gave me a confidence to know, to know the actors, to know how good they were because he's that good. Mm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and, but Paul was yeah, kind of revelationary to me. It's the do or die thing of your film, isn't it? Like, how convinced are we by who and what, Paul, what Paul's character is? He breathes life into it, which is kind of borderline camp, but but no, nonetheless, it's it, and the, you know very theatrical, but also very theatrical, but deadly. So it's like it's always yeah. almost like you know, dare I say, it, like you know, there's a little bit of the like the Joker in in his character. You know, the idea of he'll say something nice, then stab you. Yeah, to- totally. Yeah, and it's that, and it comes from that kind of lineage of acting that I really love, which is just that dangerous edge. You know, like obviously Nicholson in The Shining mm. and Gary Oldman's just brilliant in it, you know, a brilliant at it rather like, um, like in Leon yeah. where you're just flirting on it being sort of completely over the top, but mm. get that right. And I enjoy it again. You know, I look back at it and I, the tonality of the whole film is the thing that I, that I muse on most. And then, yeah, the edge scrying thing was, that was crazy because we were, just trying, you know, trying to get the gang and there's, there's Josh in the gang. There's some great guys. But I wanted someone, you know, for, for, um, for the killer who was really memorable. And it was, to be honest, it was like the second AD had just done um, Ill Manners, the um, Plan B movie, Ill Manners. And he went, oh, man, there's this guy in it. He's so charismatic. He looks amazing. He's a real sort of physical force. And I went, yeah, cool. Uh, let me have a look. Um, and then I met, and then Ed called me and he's a serious guy because he's intelligent about what he's going to do. And he was just like, talk to me about it. I talked to him about it. He was like, I'm in. And that was that, that was the casting of him. You know what I mean? It, there, there was no sort of fireworks behind it. When you go to shoot the movie, can you remember any moments like when you're, when you're making it where, where Piggy's character does what you kind of, you were hoped on the page, but then it just goes to that stage further where you're like, this is why I'm casting Paul. This is what he's doing to, to the character. What's mad about Piggy when I look back at it is before, before I stepped on that set, yeah. I had never worked with the first AD. I'd never seen a call sheet. I didn't know the rhythm of filmmaking to that degree um, at all. I, 
yeah, I didn't know the, the rhythm of filmmaking in any way. And so there were things that I sort of discovered as we went, which I now, which are now very solid in, in my career. But one of it was kind of, if you're with good actors, you wind them up and you let them go. And, and though Paul's got the very, very kind of showy version of that, Martin's also was, so there were things, there was things, things that I'd written that I hadn't really identified were in there that they were just pulling out. Mm. So it was a mad thrill for me to sort of stand back and, and then try and guide that and then see, you know, sometimes Paul went for me too far or maybe not far enough. And it was just going, working out what that was and, and letting all of them kind of develop at their own, you know, and even Martin and Neil knew each other. So there was a lovely history to them that was just there. So there was a thrill for me to sort of sit back on the set and watch that unfold. Well, yeah, I've got to say in stark contrast, obviously Martin's character is not, the big turned up to 11, I'm going to get you sucker kind of violent person. His is, his is a goat. So playing someone who is meek and timid is, is like the opposite of what maybe, you know, what we want to do. And we pretend we want to be the hero, hero and be heroic. So what were your conversations like with Martin about how to sort of get that across? Because that's about, that's about less, always about less, isn't it? Rather than more. Yeah, but um, you know, we we just talked about the intent. We were just talking about the intention of what he was and what he is, and and you know, again, I mean, to be honest, someone as talented as him, you know, if you knew if you know where to put the camera, you know where how to photograph someone. That stuff comes out, and you've got someone that you're photographing that can portray those things. That stuff comes out. It's actually a really beautiful thing, and I think we talk to a lot of directors who say that. So much of that work gets done. You know, once you select the right person and then you just stand back and the camera's in the right place, you know, those, those story things get told. But we were able to, I was able to sort of watch him build that character as well. But again, you know, even though there's a voiceover, which I probably wish I hadn't put in there now, and it's, it's, it gets the biggest level of criticism in the voiceovers, it was all about the quietness of him the journey, the journey, the internal journey of that character, and Martin can do that stuff. There's there's a couple there's a couple of moments which are really lovely in terms of when you're trying to show us that you've got him, you've got him when he's walking off to he's doing his deli- his deliveries around town, and he looks down an alley and there's a gang of kids and he's like oh no I'm not doing that so he take he takes the long route round and he turns and the oldest one's about fourteen so then you get this like almost like this you get this weird triumphant walk where he goes back through them. And he's like, excuse me, kids. And he's like, he's all right. But you've, you've watched him go on that whole journey of, of fear and then, like, oh, it's going to be all right. Versus like when he's in his office, the kind of the lads giving him the frights and, and, you know, winding him up and stuff, as, you know, colleagues might do. And then later in the film, when we, that relationship is clear and they do it when he's in the midst of his piggy mission, as it were, he gives it back tenfold and they don't know what to do because they've never met this character before they've never met this version yeah. of joe and they're frightened of him and it's quite interesting that contrast yeah but it's and that's kind of about the unfortunate liberation through violence and power because actually you know which I, I that's not something i'm promoting but it's always interesting to me that the most aggressive people te- which i think is probably changing in the way that society is changing but those really aggressive people tend to get somewhere. It's, you know, it tends to be how 
people get the attention in a room, which is quite a sad thing, actually, again. But the, but the whole thing, the whole movie is about tragedy. So it's about those things. It's about the learning, the learning, learning that violence and intimidation actually get you somewhere. But so it's a debate of that. Of that. But also it's such a reductive progress, isn't it? Because obviously people just, completely- people just die as a result of, of your, of your, Violence. It's like because that that at the at the, at the at the first confrontation in the pub, you've got everything that that I hate about. I mean, because I'm not a person that's violent by any stretch of imagination. I am more definitely Joe than I'm ever going to be John. And so when yeah. jo- John's being fearless, it's like everything I'd love. I, I'd lo- I wish I could be, but then obviously what where that leads is not nowhere where anyone wants to go. Whereas John's just like get me out of here. I need to leave. This is not. I don't want to be even part of it. Sorry, mate. Fucking sit down, you cunt. Look where you're going. Don't be fucking silly, mate. Who's your mate? Who the fuck is this? Who's this, a Ribena berry? What? Well, you want a boat to match your shirt? So it's not even about, I don't want to protect my brother. It's just, I can't cope with this. Whereas John's character clearly is like, they just need to be told to piss off. They'll go away. They're, you know, it's all, and it's all about front. It's none of it's about actually the violence that anyone's going to meet out. It's about who can back down and who won't back down as a, as much as anything else at that point. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, you know, the, those pub environments were the ones that I grew up in. I, mm. I, I recognise that behaviour and it's like, you know, so many of them people end, end up in prison or just miserable or with massive scars all over them or the loss of an eye. You know what I mean? You think, yeah. Jesus, that was just a, a bunch of people in a pub shouting at each other because they were too mm. drunk. Do you know what I mean? So reductive. And, and it so, literally was the knocking of a pint. Did you spill my pint as being yeah. an argument starter? <laughs> Yeah, and 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 probably continues to be. I mean, I'm 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 don't really frequent my, that world anymore, thank God. But um, yeah, it's just it's it's like mindless aggression. But it's also that's also about people's dissatisfaction with their own lives, isn't it? They're just almost trying to find a way out of the of being anaesthetized by their regular lives, and so they just look for anything, look for any flashpoint that'll make life exciting i mean you just have to look at the news at the moment and how people just explode out of things that seem like car you know uh, arguments over where someone's parked a car that end up in deaths and it's mm. just like that's the mind that was that's what the film was kind of debating or looking at because that was something i i definitely saw in in that in that very london british not just london actually British pub culture, male machismo. Oh, absolutely. Aggression. You've got that idea. I mean, I, I know I certainly ran away from it in terms of, you know, like the the idea that your intellect, your wit, your wealth, your power is irrelevant. All people can will ever yeah. judge you on is whether you can kick someone's fucking head in. And you're like, wow, yeah, totally. That is such a yeah. such a, a, a sort of nil version of what life should be about. I know, and you, but you do glean status from those things. People still go, "Who's the hot? Who's harder? Who's the, and you think, "What? <laughs> For God's sake, how many books have you read?" That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> now you mentioned about you know wanting to do a film that sort of was it was it kind of was a was a London film was an ode to London, and boy. Do you? I mean, I I spent certainly much of my rewatch going right. He's there. He's there. Because I mean, 
Yeah. As I said to you before, I'm a, I'm 20 years a Cockney myself now, um, and and it was <laughs> interesting. You can hear, <laughs> <laughs> Which, but but knowing those streets, then I've cycled a lot around London and walked a lot around. You know, so you recognise a lot. So, do you want, can you remember much of what the challenges were trying to make a film on those streets? Because they're not you're not in a in a backwater of kind of a Dagenham industrial estate. You're in the middle of Soho. It actually managed to track my life, and it was completely by accident. Um, I was a messenger in Leicester Square, so it was quite important to me to, to to be as honest to the messenger thing because it was just so cinematic. Every day I was out and I was moving around, and it was so so. I was quite hell bent on kind of that being the case. And then, I mean, we had no money to make that film. We we literally made it for like fifty quid. And so when you get into like the permitting of Westminster and Camden Council. <laughs> what you realise is you just have to be so gorilla. But because we wanted to give it an aesthetic, you know, there's a lot of steady cam in there. It's quite, it's quite a technical film, actually. Um, there were huge challenges. And uh, I think that there's a night sequence in Soho, which we shot on a Thursday at one o'clock in the morning on a Thursday night. But we'd already kind of wrapped everyone. So I knew I needed a sequence of, um, of Martin and Paul going around that place. And it sort of felt like the film had wrapped and then we went out and shot that sequence because it, we just had to pare ourselves down so much. But, uh, but luckily, when you've got people like Paul, just, just his charisma, you know, between takes, he can kind of get everyone, get shout out. That, you know, I mean, it, we kind of used that whole thing and, and it's sort of part of the grit of the movie. But yeah, I can remember it being... I mean, it was my first film, so I... I it was a bit like just being in, in in headlights all the time. So the whole thing, now I'd, I think I'd approach it in a slightly different way. But at the time, it was just sort of thrilling and, and uh, it just felt like you were on those streets. Have you, have, you, have, you, have you read Devil's Candy, Brian De Palma's book about the bonfire vanities? Do you know what? I've, I've always wanted to read it. I've never read it. Well, but in, in, in the early parts of it, what you're describing, he talks about this, this phenomenon when you're making a film. He said, he said, he said you enter a tunnel... And he said, the only way out is the other end of the tunnel. And you can't stop until you're out the other end. You can't go back ever. All you can do is go forward until you're out. And you don't know whether you'll reach the end, but you've got to keep going. And it's such a brilliant metaphor, I think. Yeah, and it's also something I've learned through my sort of filmmaking journey. Mm. Is there's, And I don't know if other directors uh, do this, because uh, I've never really spoken to anyone about it, but you start with all these ideas. You start with a very clear vision. That vision then starts to separate, but you can sort of of hold on to it. Then you get to that bit where you go, I can't now change this vision. So I have to just keep going forward. Then you get to the middle bit and go, am I mad? (laughs) Like, what was I thinking? Then there's a big dip where you just think, I'm just going to get through this. And then suddenly there's a big peak at the end as you sort of bring it all together. It's a really weird structure. And it's it's funny because where I've done TV and done like hour long pieces and Piggy was, you know, hour 40 or whatever it is. Mm. That's been consistent in, in all of my sort of journey. So yeah, that's the, the Palmer thing. You just, at some point you just go, the only way is that way. <laughs> <laughs> Funny enough, I spoke to a director recently who said, who said something similar where he was getting so much feedback from everybody. It was, it was contradicting it. And he went, but I want to do this. He said, so I'd rather do what I want to do and be wrong because nobody knows ultimately what the outcome will be, no. success or failure. So you can take the advice as, as, on board as, as, as for what it's worth, but then ultimately, if it's you that's going to be in the firing line, as it were, you might as well fall on your own sword and 
than seven, six or eight swords that no one's going to ever take responsibility for. Yeah, but also the, the amazing thing about directing is <clears throat> that you're working, you have like 10, 10 of them think, for every one of your ideas, 10 are coming at you. Mm. And, but no one, no one really wants to stand under the pressure of, of their, their ideas. So you just, but some, among those 10, there might be one which is actually brilliant and in combination with yours, that's the right choice. Mm. So not only you can't just go, no, you sort of have to go, <laughs> maybe, yes, uh, oh, a bit of that one. Do you know what I mean? At the same time, it's just going forward. And when you're making a movie like Piggy Woods, I think it's 24 day shoot. I think the surprise for me at the time was just how quickly you have to move through that process, move, you know, move through that decision making process. So that was kind of a big, a, a fast lesson to have to learn. Hugely. Yeah. Hugely. But also part of, Part of how I work means that I'm not one of those people that can, I feel really uncomfortable if I've gone over time. So I, I like to do things in the allotted time I had. And I also knew we didn't have the money to go over time. So if I, if I wanted to pull like this sort of really alter kind of, I, I need another four hours. I know, and the people I'm working with, they just would have gone, all right, so tomorrow we won't have any cars on set. Do you know what I mean? I, I knew that there would be a, a, a fatal consequence to that decision to push so I always try to you know and actually looking back again the learning process I think that there there are times in the film where I can feel that I should have developed an idea more um but I I I favored the economic time sense of it and that's one of the things I've now learned going forward is how to balance those two things Mm. The style of film that if you go, you know, there's a bunch of violent lads and a bunch of violent lads fight back against them. And that's kind of a common, you know, the football factory, the hooligan type stuff. But I think there's, I think with your film, there's a lot more in common with sort of classic film noir than there is with the kind of, you know, the, the sort of gang, gangland type of um, British gang movie type of thing. What, what was the conversations like with James Friend about the look and feel of it? Because I think that's a lot of what helps achieve, differentiate it from the usual kind of, sort of gangland violence type of film you see in Britain? Yeah, we wanted to um, step away from the sort of handheld verite aesthetic. We wanted, to ma- we wanted to make something that is as cinematic and kind of gritty as we possibly could. Uh, so I think it was about using colour a bit more, yeah, being a bit more noir. So using honest spaces, but then bringing in, that, you know, like where Roland's being tortured and you've got those big orange you know big orange spill lights coming into the bathroom and stuff like that you know that's not necessarily natural lighting but it does add to the atmosphere definitely yeah i mean in that in that in that where that where that sequence eventually concludes and paul stabbed him it's such a really really interesting choice of shot where paul just lies on the ground with him and we're looking at paul in the foreground i mean it's a classic it's almost like it's the thing you can do in cinema you can't do in on stage which is we can just look at Paul in the foreground and 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 rolling in the background, and it's, but it's like it's such an odd choice, but it's brilliant at the same time. Where he's lying on the floor, talking away, being piggy, but equally for us as an audience, aesthetically, it's beautiful. It's beautiful as well. Well, it's fair to say that didn't go to plan, didn't it? There's quite a bit of that. And, and again, I think we, when we actually got to the sets, because you, you know, you don't get much prep time on these things. We really allowed ourselves to, 
you know, I don't, I don't really storyboard and things like that. I let things be a lot more natural. I know the feel that I want and I let it sort of um, develop, you know, as we're shooting. So we were quite organic with it. Another sequence that stood out, and just because, like, again, I think it's because of the production values you got from the choice as much as it was about what you did as far as you lit it. There's the bit on the, there's the, there's the guy that gets his, gets his, um, just desserts on the waste, on the waste ground. But in the background, there's like, is, is it like, is it a, a works factor or a football stadium in the background? No, it's a power station. Because you get this brilliant light, almost like sort of, Close encounters every now and again. The camera just gives you this wonderful little backlight, which obviously is production values, which are for free, I suppose, aren't they? But you've obviously got to choose it to get it in your film. Well, we were shooting in a, a working um, uh, rubbish warehouse nearby. It was working. So all those scenes, the majority of the film, that was the production office was up there. And then the film was shot down there. And honestly, we had to pause every now and again where they came in and like dumped a load of rubbish in there. I'm sure like health and safety would not allow a film crew to go in there now. That's, I think that's pretty honest. And it stank. I mean, it really did smell in there. Mm. And, and really, that again, that was like where around here is really interesting. And we just went for a walk down and just on the docks, which is around, you know, Dartford, I think that must be maybe Gravesend in the background or something like that. But that was in case of just going, wow, that at night is going to give us, exactly as you say, for, for no money really, um, huge production value which is what that's that's what the whole film is exactly yeah and also in that in that kind of classic noir thing it sort of gives you that it sort of discombobulates you as an audience you're like you've been in the city we've been in this kind of london like inner london suburbia type place and suddenly we're in this almost like foreign land yeah and it's it's something like sort of dark fairy tale about the way it's lit and all the smoke drifting up you know again by then it's, it's so much about the psychology of him like of Joe and where he is in the journey of sort of becoming what he becomes. But by then, I, it, you know, all the worst times in my life have all felt like dreams. Do you know what I mean? When you're in a really horrible scenario, car crash, whatever it is, you sort of feel like you're not there. It's, it's something that you understand retrospectively. And so that bit of the psychology of the film, thinking back, we wanted it to feel a bit weirder and stranger. Again, I, again, it, they're the elements of the film that I don't, I don't feel I quite nailed the journey of that stuff. That's what's interesting looking back at it. But, but maybe maybe the happy accident is that you get that dream quality because it doesn't feel so so orchestrated. It kind of... it's yeah. it's Because obviously Joe's development is a jarring one. It's not going to be a strictly, you know, <laughs> here's point one to point, to point two <laughs> to point four yeah. that's going to be neat and like tidy. Sad murder, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that and then and, and because you and because of the grandness of where you were, that also again, I guess coincidentally, is arguably the most graphic death as well. You, you know, you went for it on the special effects on that one. I think so, yeah. I think so. I don't know, when when the rolling one with the the neck thing where he's pulling up on his neck and all that, that to me feels that's pretty graphic. It's graphic violence, but this one, this one's your bloody one, and this is where you know your VFX. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, oh, you're right. Yeah. Slashing the throat is where your VFX people sort of earn their money, don't they? I suppose in sort of making that well, convincing. That, actually, that was that that wasn't VFX. <laughs> that was all practical. I'm sorry, bro. You really didn't mean to go that far, bro. Sorry, man. Fuck. 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 Fuck.
bad? Well, it's interesting because now whenever I do anything and obviously, you know, quite a lot of the stuff I've done has involved physical violence and stuff. Yeah. I always tend towards um, to visual effects. Now, visual effects has come on a lot in 10 years mm-hmm. in terms of what you can afford to do. I didn't really know about visual effects at that point. So that we had, I think we had two next. We had a load of people like that and just pumping it in time wow. with it all going. So, and there was no even visual effects cleanup on that because, you know, sometimes i do a bit of that and then clear it up with visual effects. So that, that was all old school filmmaking, practical, couple of you know guys and gals on the floor pumping fake blood. Very effective, very effective. Yeah, thank you. Um, so uh, for those listening that haven't seen the film, um, I, we've, we've, we've kind of avoided a lot of spoilers, but we have you know, talked you through what's happened. But I want, to, I want this, we're now going to enter a little bit of big spoilers. So if you've not seen Piggy and you're listening to this, then maybe it's a time to go go watch it before you listen to the rest of this conversation. Right then, Kieran, I think they've gone now. <laughs> I want to I want to talk to you about the the sort of evolution, Joe's final evolution, the kind of the, the move between Piggy Piggy the partner and Piggy potentially, you know, the figment of his imagination. Um, the kind of the kind, I guess the kind of, I guess the the the, be- the, the obvious comparison is something like Fight Club, you know, the, the sort of realisation that you're on your own, not you're not with somebody. Um, and you've got that. And it's really lovely done because he just says it three times. I don't even I don't even know who the fuck you are. And the third, ta- the third time he wanders in the living room and he's not there. And you're kind of like, oh, <laughs> he was never there, was he? That's why he was never there. I mean, it's kind of, you're kind of, you're kind of thinking it all the way through, but that obviously that scene sort of nails it for us. But then we go to that shrink wrap flat. Yeah. Where everything shrink wrap. What I mean, it's a fantastic idea, but what what was what was behind all that? The idea we go to this place where it's like I'm going to prove that you don't exist to myself. Yeah, I mean that was he was visiting it to sort of find out the truth of the whole thing. But you know, I don't know. It's a complex moment that, in the sense of, there's a kind of double reveals. There's reveals all over the place. So f- sort of for me, when he goes there and finds that he, he never knew John the John character that Piggy never knew John character that for me was a more satisfying ending in the sense that I kind of feel like your Piggy character which is I think what interested me about him was that he was kind of a grief tourist I like to think of him as like a dark tourist so he'll just he'll probably go to find another murder victim or victim of something horrendous befriend them find a way into their lives to exploit that and then move on to the next one. I kind of like to think of him as that. Do you know what I mean? If I ever made another chapter of it. So not, so not, so you're not, you're saying he's not Joe's id then? You're saying he's real? For me, he was real, really. I just like the idea of the excuse that, that Joe was maybe using him as an excuse for his violence, which is the sort of unreal bit. But maybe he was. Maybe he was real. I, I, I quite like the idea that he was real. But I, I don't know. I, I, I could never quite decide. Well, that's interesting. You never could decide, even though you've yeah. you've obviously made it, because you've got those earlier scenes where he's like, oh, how did you get in the flat? Which, to me, was always seeding the idea that 
he's never been got in a flux. He can he he appears and goes as 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 Joe wants to think about him, or Joe, or, or as Joe needs him, should I say? Yeah, but I mean, for me as well, the, the, the film's a bit of a dream. It's like you've got a person in in Greece psychosis, which is what the Joe character is. So that was why everything sort of just falls apart in terms of total logic. It's like I, you know, that which is a bit which is what makes sense that the film doesn't give you a conclusive. Um, you know, a conclusion in the sense of is he real, is he not? I just think by then the whole his whole mind is fractured, and we've watched his mind. So yeah, he might have been real, he might not. He could have, you know, what I mean, it's like you're you're just watching this almost fever dream. So what was what was behind? So what's behind the the the, the, the shrink wrapping of all the furniture in that flat? Then if he's real, what? What, what are we seeing there then? That's really, it's a really fascinating. It's, it's a real fascinating choice because obviously we get the photo, the, the, the constructed photograph is in one of the drawers. So you've got this is where the idea is real plays up. I just I think that that's the depiction of, of a serial killer of a psychopath because what he is is a psychopath. Right. Okay. And I think that at some point he'll possibly go back and move all that stuff, or that stuff's now being sold. Or do you know what I mean? I think yeah, it's probably yeah, yeah. again a quite a but now real life. Um, explanation to it but what it appears in our world of total madness that's been brought on by this violent act is it takes on a significance but probably it's just a load of rap stuff and it'll be moved out and it's a normal flat but no, it's, it's, but it's a lovely but it's a lovely stark contrast you know obviously to yes definitely I mean the lighting's still very similar to Joe's place but obviously once you begin to see the light reflecting off all this shrink wrap oh off all that yeah I mean it looks beautiful it's, it, I, I like the way we shot that that scene I like the 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 wides and stuff, but really good in there. I thought we talked a lot about the, the the sort of writing and the making of and the casting of. So, having gone through that journey with me now, can you can you remember sort of? Can you tell me any kind of like a fond memory from from making that first feature film that that'll always live with you that, that you know you'd like to share with Britflix? It was terrifying. It was confusing. It was absolutely f- thrilling. It was kind of. It, it, there were things happening in my life that were really, really bad. Like, I think my 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 dad was dying at the time. Oh my word! Yeah, it was like a really long illness. It was horrible, and and so I had that madness going on, and it totally sort of within all that madness kept me sane. So really, I mean, there were so many minor moments, and I think it's true of any project you do. Mm. There's all these minor moments that I could probably go, oh, there's first time that Martin did this and the first time but actually I, I just I look back on it like it was just it was an insane feeling and an amazing time you know they they're people that remained really dear friends to me mm. and as you say I think that when I look back at the film and I look back at the failings of it and the successes of it as a, as a piece of work I also look back at the people involved mm. and see their journeys so I don't know. I mean, I look back at the experience with, you know, it started a career for me. It's a very, but yeah, it was, it, it was a, it was just a mad time, mad, very enjoyable time. Indeed. Indeed. Well, look, well, like I say, I'll put links in the show notes for people that haven't seen it can, can get the link. It is on, it is on Amazon prime at the moment. People to watch if they're subscribing to that. And it just gives me to say, thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you so much, Stuart. That was, uh, yeah, it was good fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for caring about the film. My pleasure, my pleasure. And, and yeah, it's brilliant what uh, Brit Flick are doing with British cinema. Thank you.